This is a special edition of Middle Georgia Podcast. I'm Ben Sandifer. Major David Carter passed away on July 17th at the age of 90. In January 2017, I had the honor of interviewing Major Carter for the veteran segment on the Greatest Memories podcast. As is normally the case, the challenge was not what to use for that five to seven minute segment, but what to leave out. So in this podcast tribute to Major Carter, we'll bring you more of his story in his own words. And we start with how David Carter from Greenville, South Carolina, decided to enlist in the U.S. Army. I was an athlete in high school, and a group of us, uh, about 15 of us, we all were big, brave young men, and we wanted to go to the Marines. And uh, when we got time after we graduated from high school, uh, I was the only one left standing that was still interested in military. And uh, so I, I enlisted uh, my, my sister's brother-in-law uh, was the recruiter. Uh, and uh, he got me out off the baseball field and uh, there in Greenville, South Carolina. And we had graduated from school and I had been a lifeguard, counselor, uh, playing baseball and uh, really nothing to do. And uh, he said, I want you to take a test. So I, I sat on my front yard and my front porch and, and took, took the test. And he said, my, I said, you made, it, you made enough to go in the Air Force. That's when the, the Air Force and the Army, uh, Air Force was still the, under the Army and had a little higher standards for Air Force. And he said, uh, you made enough to go in the Air Force. I said, you mean all the all the smart ones go in the Air Force, and, and all. I said, I'll go up faster if I go in the Army. So I, I joined the Army and uh, went right on in at 17 years old and um, took basic training and was assigned to the assignment of a lifetime. I was assigned to General Douglas MacArthur's headquarters in Tokyo, Japan. And and what a life, uh, being in in Tokyo in the guard company. I saw General MacArthur every day. Uh, uh, they, they, the Japanese, they took care of our our clothing, our shine our shoes and everything. I, I thought I thought I was in heaven instead of in the army. But it was a it was a great assignment being in uh, with MacArthur's headquarters. And then came Korea. The war started uh, June nineteen fifty. And I was in, in Japan, and uh, I had re-enlisted, and I had already been promoted to a sergeant. They wanted volunteers for a special unit. That, uh, they wanted uh, uh, men that had been uh, pretty good athletes, good soldiers, uh, willing to learn and trying to, and I didn't know what I was volunteering for, but it was all volunteer. And, and, and little did I know, it was uh, one of the first special forces units that the United States Army has ever had. And it was named the uh, General Headquarters, GHQ Raider Company. Uh, we trained on the coast of Japan off of uh, submarines, rubber boats. Uh, and the sole uh, mission uh, for that unit, we had 100 volunteers. Uh, 
uh, was the destruction of uh, enemy personnel and enemy installations behind lines. And that's the only orders that, that uh, we have. They had a special mission of uh, taking Kemper Airfield in front of the Inchon invasion. And the Inchon invasion took place the 15th of September, 1950. Uh, we were on a British frigate and went in uh, two days uh, before the Inchon invasion, 100 miles behind the lines, and made the part of the, a diversion uh, for the Inchon invasion. And then our mission to go to Kempo, we, those tides coming in at Inchon, uh, quite tremendous, and we, we couldn't accomplish really what they wanted to do, but we did get to Kempo Airfield, and we were assigned uh, to a Marine uh, a unit, a Marine battalion, and we went from there uh, about a month and a half later to North Korea on ship. We had all kinds of special missions as any special operations unit would have. We uh, went to deep North Korea uh, around the Yalu River, uh, when, especially when uh, the Chinese first came into the war. And, uh, and that uh, was in uh, November uh, 1950. I was still a young, young warrior. I had been promoted, incidentally. I was a squad leader, and uh, that, that was uh, uh, quite an experience for me, uh, being in a, a special group, a special unit. We had uh, uh, 15 British commandos and that, from that Commando 41 that had been with us, too, and trained with us. So that was uh, really setting me off on uh, the military. I thought it was a... A wonderful thing uh, that uh, you had to be uh, pretty smart. You, you couldn't be uh, uh, dumb and sit around. You had to, you had to be able to function, and uh, I, I think that's where uh, uh, someone established it. That I used to say that maximum emphasis is on everything. That I don't have one thing. That everything is important, and and I try to put maximum. And I try to do that in my life. We got through Korea and uh, went back to Tokyo, Japan. And uh, they gave me a plus job because I'd been in that Raider company. Uh, they, I was in charge of all the ball fields and uh, basketball room, but had Japanese doing the work. And I just r rode around and checked on tennis courts and swimming pools, and just a, a real plus job. Then I, I decided I, I was gonna get out of the Army and go, and go to college. And that fell through. I got married, and uh, so I had to had to get my education through uh, uh, night school and all everything I got. I had to be working and, and uh, going to school, and and uh, I decided that uh, I'd, I'd better uh, make something of my life. And I I had uh, a, a, a good record in the army, and I applied for officers candidate school and uh, was accepted right off, and I graduated from officer's candidate school, infantry. I graduated from the uh, advanced officer's school, uh, and I obtained a nuclear weapons employment officer specialty. That's not very many people have that. Uh, that's back when they were talking about using uh, small yield 
nuclear weapons on the battlefield. And only 10% of that advanced class got there. There's a lot of math. Uh, the West Pointers all used uh, slide rules, and uh, they said Carter used country store arithmetic. But I, I, I passed, and uh, uh, like I say, only 10% got that nuclear weapons employment officer, and that was a, a special prefix before your military occupational specialty. Then there was a history-making second tour in Korea for Carter. The Army uh, Marines, we didn't use uh, helicopters uh, much in World War II, if at all. At little age 13, just like a doodlebug uh, helicopter for reconnaissance. And uh, uh, one of the uh, medical service uh, pilots uh, he decided he was going to build pods on the sides of that H-13 to carry wounded. And uh, he had built that as an experimental, and my unit had two wounded at the time. This was January 1951. And he flew in to our position and hauled our two, two wounded away. And that was the first pickup by helicopter uh, on the battlefield, as far as I know. I don't see how there could have been any other because it wasn't invented. And we know what happened in Vietnam. That was strictly a, a helicopter pickup war, carry-in, pickup, uh, uh, helicopter, helicopter. You think of Vietnam, you think of those helicopters buzzing around. So that was the first pickup of wounded. Uh, on the on the battlefield. After the Korean War ended, Carter's next assignment was in Kansas. Uh, during peacetime, 1959, of uh, being the commanding officer for the expert infantry badge at, for the first infantry division in Fort Riley, Kansas, and to be named uh, the person. Uh, in charge of the, really the orders read the president of the expert infantry bay. And we had only six officers and men, top NCOs, to complete the entire battery of tests, both written and practical work, to earn expert infantry badge. And everyone wanted that because this was a non-combat time. You, you got the badge. It was a combat infantry badge without the wreath. And that's an expert after that. All the West Pointers, all the ROTCs, and all the OCS uh, wanted that badge. And uh, I was the commanding officer for that. So that was one of the highlights of my life. By then, a captain, Carter's longest and most rewarding assignment, started in 1962. Got my assignment to Macon, Georgia, as an infantry advisor to uh, the reserve unit over on Riverside Drive. Uh, I was to report in, and the, the commanding general uh, of the uh, reserve and uh, ROTC units called me in and said, I want you to go by and talk to a principal of a high school ROTC unit that's been down there for a long time. And uh, that 
principal down there can't seem to be satisfied with any of the people we're sending for an interview for that job. And uh, I interviewed with a, a gentleman, that one of the finest men I've ever met in my life, called A.J. Swan. A.J. Swan was a, well, in Macon, uh, he was a, an outstanding person. He was a reserve colonel. He interviewed with me, and he said, uh, he said, you know, said, I really like you. I think you'd like this job. He said, uh, won't you give it a try? He says, one thing I don't like about you. I, I wasn't accustomed to anybody <laughs> anything he didn't like about me. But I was a, a young captain, up and coming. And like I say, I'd, I'd been top of the class and, and, and everything I'd done. And, and uh, uh, he said, uh, I need a major for this job, so this is a prestigious position. Professor of Military Science of uh, this unit is only, Lanier was one of probably 100 units. We had, in those years, 1962, no Air Force, Navy, Marine, ROTCs. It was all Army. And the Army sponsored it. I had nine regular Army sergeants, good ones. And uh, we, uh, he asked me to give that a try, and I was glad I did. It was uh, one of the, the better things I've ever done in my life, being associated with I had over 1,300 ROTC cadets. And uh, we, uh, we had, did some uh, good things with the unit. We tried to, tried to make it uh, as interesting and uh, informative not to get people to go in the army, but to give them skills of a soldier, and and because uh, a lot of people think you know a soldier doesn't have to know anything, but you have to know a lot to be a good soldier. So I, the map reading and the first aid and all the basic kinds of things that we taught, I think was probably as good as of instruction as they would get any place in the world. Uh, Stayed in that that job for a long time. Uh, in 1964, they uh, decided to the Congress decided that they would start ROTC uh, with the Navy and the Marines and Air Force sponsoring units. So that started uh, uh, other schools having ROTC. And that's when I started uh, drill competition. Uh, back when uh, 1965, when Sonny Carter, the astronaut, was uh, uh, in in the ROTC, graduated '65. He was a drill team commander. But the only place we drilled was Christmas parades and things because we had no competition other than the military schools like Georgia Military College, Marion Military School. So in 1964, when they started all these other schools having ROT, I said, one way, uh, one thing we need to do is establish more visibility of, of what we're doing here. So we established, uh, uh, we already had a team called Golden Boots, and we continued that name, Golden Boots, but we won seven national championships with the VFW uh, sponsoring uh, teams uh, throughout the country. Uh, we won one national championship in rifle shooting uh, down at Lanier. So, well, we actually changed the name to Central in 1971, 
And uh, but I I I look back at uh, having the 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 right and the the, the ability to be assigned to a, a high school uh, ROTC was something that uh, other people didn't get the opportunity to do. Many times when you got in trouble at Lanier and Central, you weren't sent to the principal's office. Instead, you got to go visit Major Carter. All the teachers used me as a tool <laughs> for discipline. And, uh, of course, I, 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 I had my own ways and means of, uh, of uh, keeping uh, discipline on that campus. And I, it, was, uh, it was quite an experience with the, with the nine sergeants and, and the, the boys all wearing uniforms and uh, no girls in ROTC at that time. Uh, when uh, a young man got in trouble, he came in to see me. I, uh, one of the things, psychologically, I had a little a three-foot-by-three-foot red piece of carpet, and I put it in front of my desk. And that carpet, would, I, when a boy was in for counseling for some problem, I made him stand on that carpet, and it, it seemed to burn their feet. Everyone <laughs> would want to move off of that carpet. <laughs> but it was a psychological tool that, when, that I used it was a tremendous school, and Mr. Wall, the principal, said, uh, "said this is a college prep school, and that's where we want to keep it. We want we want good discipline, good education, teachers, and uh, so the teachers uh, they depended on me, and I depended on them. All the teachers that I recall supported ROTC, and that's and that's not normal that they would support a military uh, and a public high school. Here's how cadet promotions were decided in the Lanier and Central ROTC program. We used uh, what I call the whole man concept and, and the, the main concept in promoting in, in ROTC was uh, academics. You had to be a first class student in all your all your grades in your school for your English, your math, your science, and all, all the rest, history, all your, your subjects, that was the main part of your promotion. The next part was leadership. And I think that's the way life ought to be. You, you've, got to, you've got to be academically qualified in life. And, and uh, if you're going anywhere, uh, you've got to be a leader. If you, and and uh, I think we made some some good leadership people. They carried that leadership on on through the community and through their lives. And that, uh, I see that as uh, one of the main ingredients. And uh, you really don't have to be all that intelligent to be a good leader, but you do, to be an outstanding leader, you've got to be academically qualified. Very, very competitive. Those, those guys that made officers and, and uh High ranks in, in ROTC, I, I don't know of any that has not done well in life. And that makes me feel good. Though it was the most rewarding part of his Army career, Lanier and Central was also Carter's biggest challenge. Having 1,300 and then it dropped down to about 400 cadets on a volunteer basis. But in the old days, it was required. Every boy 
uh, coming to that school, and even the, the students that would never, well, they, they were uh, handicapped. Uh, I remember, recall one one young man having a an accident and had to take off his leg, and he begged me uh, to have a uniform. He wanted to be like all the rest, and I, let, I allowed him to do that. But it, uh, it's been really worthwhile. I can't go anywhere. I've been overseas to Japan, running to people that graduated from Lanier and Central, uh, New York, any place I go. Uh, most of the boys, I'd say at least 99%, really respected and, and enjoyed the, the tour and think that it was worthwhile taking ROTC. And he couldn't have done it without a staff of sergeants. I had the opportunity to hire them. They, they worked as teachers, all of them. Uh, Sergeant Major Sapp was a tremendous sergeant. He was the first sergeant to be hired under that uh, program where you had to have at least uh, uh, 20 years of service to be, uh, be hired as an instructor. And uh, yeah, all, all were on uh, the teacher roles. Carter's long career heading up the ROTC program at Lanier almost ended two years after he arrived because of the war in Vietnam. I got orders for Commander in South College, which is a real tribute to uh, an infantry officer, uh, and I was a major. Uh, well, I made major in 1966. I was still a captain. I got orders for uh, First Infantry Division, and uh, I had already served a tour of the First Infantry Division, but. I got orders for Vietnam, and uh, I uh, received a call from the Board of Education, and uh, at that time, uh, Elton Wall was principal, and they said, we want you to stay here. And so we got uh, a, a, lot of, a lot of boys, and this, this program is going well. Uh, we want you to stay here. And I said, well, I have to go where the Army sends me. And uh, goes to to turn down an assignment to Commander Staff College was a was a big thing because that could lead on to uh, many many more promotions. And uh, so I got a call from Washington and said, uh, uh, "We we we want you in infantry branch. We want you to stay down there in Macon. Tell where you stay." And I said, well, I have to go where I'm assigned. He said, well, uh, go home and talk to your wife. And if you want to stay down there running that ROTC, you can stay as long as you want to. He said, Macon wants you to stay. <laughs> so I came home and talked to uh, my wife. And and she said, and I'll, I'll always remember this, she said, big boy, if you can stay in Macon, you better stay in Macon. <laughs> So, so I I called back and, and I stayed in Macon on the same job and I never heard uh, again on uh, trying to send me someplace else. For years, the ROTC program included a military parade each Wednesday morning. 
In the program's heyday, the 1,300 cadets would be marching in 12 different companies, each with two platoons consisting of four squads and also a military band company. Uh, Turner Goff, uh, who was director, and then uh, later my friend uh, Bob Barnett, who was deceased. Uh, Bob was a tremendous band director. Uh, I mean, for show bands, uh, symphonic bands, they played all kinds of music. They could play military music as well as the band at Fort Benning. And he would ask me, what, what, uh, what do you want to play for Officer Center March? And I could tell him, okay, let's play high school cadets, or let's play uh, Semper Fidelis. Or I could tell him which march to play. And I don't think you know, many Army officers had the opportunity to, to select the type of march <laughs> we were going to have for the officer's center march and passing in review. Uh, it, it was great having a, a band director who was that good. And, and the band director, uh, he called on me to do uh, several things. In fact, uh, one of the things uh, after he died, one of the, uh, one of the uh, ex-students called me James Bond because I played James Bond at the halftime show. <laughs> we landed a helicopter at center field, and I jumped out and blew up all the stuff and flew away. And uh, uh, some said, uh, well, we got to editorialize that uh, we might have uh, might have injured, uh, uh, could have injured. Uh, someone with that helicopter crashing in, but Bob asked me to do that, and I said, "Bob, I'm 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 a I'm a professor of military science. I can't uh, I can't be James Bond." He said, "Oh," said this this will up your prestige, <laughs> and and he was right because Bob was uh, he really should have been in Hollywood. He was but a great band director, but he's also uh, a visionary for things uh, that bands could do and I, I would uh, I would attend just like he would attend uh, my military parades and direct but I would go to the the band competitions and that, and I always had a class one class one band and Major Carter never forgot one special song the band learned just for him Bob and I used we would play golf and I used to hum a little song. It's a Korean folk song, and it's called Adidong. Uh, and and uh, uh, I, I used to hum that song. I'd go, and, and Bob learned the words to that, and he wrote that for band. And uh, we would have sound off, and it usually a, a great military march you played it for sound off. And uh, the adjutant said, sound off, and they played that Adi Dong, that Korean folk song. And I almost fell off the reviewing stand. <laughs> I couldn't believe that he had taught the band to play a Korean folk song and playing it for sound off. It was another good experience. It was rumored that at one time there were more commissioned officers in all branches of the U.S. military combined who were graduates of Lanier High School than any other school in the country. I don't think there's any verification of that, but it's, I like to think that that's true. Macon is just a different kind of, of town. 
and uh, they, they seem to love military more so than any place I've ever been as far as a civilian city. And because ROTC really started in 1919, and it was required. And every boy, with it being an all-boys school, had to take ROTC. And when something came about, uh, they volunteered and, and went in the Army. And I don't doubt it. I've had more people to come up, especially some of what I would consider goof-offs in ROTC and say, hey, I got a commission. I want to prove to you that I can do it. Uh, and, and, uh, and of course, you know, boys will be boys, and I understand that. Uh, I probably would not have enjoyed ROTC myself when I was going to high school because I was an athlete. I liked, I liked to play ball. And, but uh, I, I like the mixture of athletics and ROTC together. That, uh, there's a lot of similarity uh, uh, in battle yeah, and, and group and teamwork. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's the same thing to me. Many of Major Carter's ROTC students would go on to outrank him. I've, I've uh, give, given one uh, uh, his uh, general's flag. He invited me to come come to his uh, promotion. Uh, my own son graduated, Fulberg Colonel, and and uh, uh, of course uh, Major was. Uh, I, I got out of the army early because I was at the school, and uh, but uh, I think uh, many, many of them made uh, major colonels, generals, uh, but most of them still said sir to me. Unusual. While he was at Lanier and Central, the Vietnam War began and ended, and Major Carter would have one of his toughest assignments in the military. I was assigned uh, as a notification officer for uh, missing, wounded, dead, deaths, uh, uh, and I was uh, the officer that, that was assigned in middle Georgia for notification, and I had to notify. Uh, during that period of time, and that's one of the, one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, uh, to, to notify a person and that uh, their son had been uh, or their uh, husband had been uh, killed uh, in uh, in combat, and I would try to work through that. Uh, I, I would help with the uh, uh, survivor assistance, um, and and fortunately, I only had one that was uh, one of my students. Uh, and his family, and it was a, a hard one to, to handle, but I handled uh, cases in Dublin, uh, uh, Forsyth, all of Macon. I think one of our uh, lead reporters, Ed Grismore, ran across someone that, that, and he asked them, and this was over in outside uh, Warner Robins, that uh, their son had been... Uh, been uh, killed in combat and said who handled that and how did he notify you and all that and uh, come to find out it was me and then they had got, got in touch with me and said how did you do that and you know how and I was 
uh, I, we had uh, several officers at Mercer. We had officers at uh, Riverside Drive. But uh, I guess one of the reasons of my combat experience and 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 uh, that I was uh, named. <laughs> I wasn't asked. I was named, and I I would be called when someone was uh, uh, wounded or killed in this area. So that was a job. When Major David Carter retired in 1990 after 28 years at Lanier and Central, the drill field at the school was named in his honor. It's a very special honor that uh, that the Board of Education would would name that field. In my honor, I don't. I don't even know what they drilled in on that field nowadays. But to have that field, it was a drill field, and we did drill, and uh, and we drilled correctly. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. After Carter's retirement from the school and the army, he began another career that would last for 18 years. Following my retirement, I got into politics. I won five different races for city council. I was council president, mayor pro tem, and uh, when Tommy Olmstead, who was mayor, uh, took the job that uh, Governor Miller offered him, uh, it was my responsibility. Really, I was mayor pro tem. I had to take the job, and I was uh, sworn in as mayor of Macon, in 1995. As with all of the veterans we talked to, we asked David Carter what being a veteran means to him, especially around patriotic holidays. Those days are extremely important to me. Uh, it, it hurts uh, when uh, I see uh, people burning flags and and those kinds of things. But I, I think those, those days... Uh, need to be respected and honored for the service that, that people have. Uh, military service is not easy. Uh, it's a job. And uh, uh, you have to give up everything uh, that you might have going uh, to serve, especially overseas and, and war. Nowadays, it seems to be a, a, a lot easier than it was in, in my day. Uh, with uh, the, the logistics of what you what you have, my own little unit, uh, we were we were a hundred men uh, and less than that, uh, isolated out uh, sometimes with uh, no food and having to go into a village and get uh, the the, the mamasans as we call them, all the ladies to cook us up some rice or something to eat but uh, but I, I was in a special unit and, and in fact uh, uh, special forces uh, headquarters in uh, Fort Bragg North Carolina uh, gave uh, those of us and all the members of my unit that's still alive a special forces tab and uh, the commanding general of special forces said you guys started all this special operations stuff and uh, so I, I have my special forces tab very proud of that but my unit we didn't have a, a morning report sir uh, the first sergeant kept the, the the names and what happened on a clipboard because there's no place to report it when you're off isolated so <laughs> we, we, it was uh, 
So, uh, and I was uh, pleased that finally, after uh, all of these years, that uh, the Army recognized uh, my little unit and what we what we tried to accomplish. And to sum up his life and career, Major Carter had this to say: "I'd do it all over again. My life has been very exciting, very rewarding. It's been a good life." The late Major and Mayor David Carter, in his own words. For Middle Georgia Podcast, I'm Ben Sandifer, Lanier High School Class of 1970. Deep in production.